Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. This week on the show, I talk to Marissa and Chris Neely of sailing vessel Avocet, a 1979 Choi Lee 41. They've been putting a ton of love and work into refitting her with plans to sail to Hawaii, Alaska, Mexico, and possibly beyond. You can watch their progress in beautifully shot and produced YouTube videos. Just search Sailing Avocet. Chris grew up sailing on San Francisco Bay, and Marissa learned to sail with Chris on Huntington Lake, which is actually the lake that's been in the news this past week because over 20 people were airlifted out after being trapped by a quick-moving wildfire. In fact, the creek fire is currently still burning and threatening the town of Shaver Lake, where Chris's childhood home, as well as Marissa's grandfather's home and family cabin, all are. So we're keeping everyone from that area, and the firefighters battling blazes all around the state in our thoughts. Chris and Marissa recently moved the mason that Chris grew up sailing on in San Francisco down to Southern California. And we start the interview today talking about that trip. So here we go. We are Marissa and Chris Neely. We are collectively 22 years old. We live aboard our Choi Lee 41, preparing to sail around the world as husband, wife, and cat. So if you're collectively 22, does that make you both 11? (laughs) (laughs) Good point. No, Chris is 22. I'm 23. We are exactly one year and four Four days days apart. apart. And right now you guys aren't aboard your own boat, right? Funny story about that. When you start to do um, rewiring, Sometimes your boat becomes uninhabitable. So it's a good thing we have my mother-in-law's boat, Chris's mom. Her boat is a few slips down from us. So we kind of retreated here. and We, we commented- kind of made it work on our boat, but it was kind of just like, well, the boat's here, so why not, right? Yeah, yeah we commandeered mom's <laughs> yeah, boat. Commandeered. So. <laughs> All pirate rules. That's good. You got a, a, another pad to go stay in while you're working on, on your boat. So you're not based here in San Francisco, but you were just up here. Because of this other boat, the boat that I believe you grew up sailing on, Chris, and you were actually sailing with another friend of the podcast, Quincy and Mitchell, uh, QM Travels, who were on the show a while back. Tell us about your recent passage with them. Yeah, well, the passage started as a, uh, you know, it's, we moved down here, not really intentionally, we bought our boat down here, Avocet, and we bought the boat, we had always planned on bringing it back up to the bay because that was the plan. And then we kind of, you know, got down here and felt the vibe and just how nice the weather was and kind of everything just fell in place of we wanted to stay. And we'll short circuit down, you know, two years later, and we were kind of been egging on mom bringing her boat from the bay, which has been in Berkeley for 20 something years now. 28 years. 28 years. Yeah. Anyway, we, a long story short, we, we've been talking about her moving this boat down south for a long time now. And, and the time finally came up she agreed to bring it down and and we were looking for crew because uh, Marissa and I have done a lot of boat work, but we really haven't done much ocean sailing and, and we have very good friends, Mission Quincy, and they obviously 
I've done a lot of sailing and have a lot of experience in one miles under their heels. So uh, we asked them to join us on a very maiden voyage of the Mason. Hasn't really left the bay in 28 years. So yeah. not only was there just a lot of things that we wanted to make sure we we're going to go right, but we want to have the right people on board. So Yeah, and that was a big factor. I mean, Chris and I are very confident in our sailing skills aboard our boat, especially since we've done a lot of work and we know I mean, we really know how our boat sails, how she feels, what's comfortable, what's not, but the Mason is a whole other beast. Chris obviously grew up sailing on it with his brother and even his sister aboard and obviously his family, but sailing it yourself as a captain is very different. And this is also a boat too. Yeah. Rosa and I have had a lot of experience uh, on our boat out in the ocean with swell and, and unpredictable things that can kind of happen. And the bay has always been this kind of safe haven where, yes, it blows a lot of wind, but uh, you're not kind of getting any sort of screwballs that can hit you swell, out of nowhere. Yeah. Swell and, you know, everything else. And so taking the boat around Conception, which is something that I've never done before, I definitely wanted to have someone on board that really knew what they were talking about. That was definitely uh, why we, you know, made the little crew that we had. And, and we made the perfect decision because we had the best very, very mellow trip all the way down the coast. We got very lucky. Yeah. Going around Conception, we've heard a lot of horror stories, and yet we've heard a lot of really good experiences. And, you know, when you're preparing for a passage like this, you have to prepare for the worst because you don't know what's going to happen. And Especially on a boat that really hasn't been sailed in so long. Yeah. The, the, a lot, I mean, all the electronics are basically original on this boat. <laughs> It's so, pretty impressive uh, how original yeah. they are. The radar, it, it's a full, like, original radar. It, it blips. Yeah, no, it has little blips. The, the engine is completely, I mean, literally everything is original on this boat, so. What year is the boat? She's from 1979. She's a Toshing boat. and Same age as Avocet. Yeah. There was a lot of, I actually came up to the bay a whole week prior to actually going on our crossing, and I spent that entire five or six days rewiring most of the DC because of just, uh, Toshing could definitely lay up glass and, you know, build beautiful teak interiors and, you know, exteriors, but the wiring was not something that was necessarily good. There's a lot of shortcuts done. So I did a lot of work just getting it safe, I would call it. Which was great. Chris had the time to come up here and really invest his time and work on the Mason, preparing her for this, this passage. But it, but our projects, on Avocet on pause once again not to mention Chris had just come back from helping his brother on SV Prism um, they're working on another Hans Christian 33 and Chris flew out there for a week actually like two a weeks. week and a half two mm. weeks to help them with their boat projects which put our projects on hold again so we've we're a little Long behind story short, yeah Marissa and I've been at least I have been vigorously working on boats since beginning of March. I haven't really stopped since. So it's I am seriously impressed by the number of boat projects that are going on, not just that you guys are doing, but in the family. Chris, is this something that you grew up doing? Yeah, I, I have actually very vivid memories of routing the exhaust hose on this mason. Uh, I think when I was like 10 or maybe nine years old, I, I remember that my dad was, he was, you know, six foot one. And he's like, you know, Chris, get in those lazarettes and, <laughs> and fish this, you know, two inch exhaust hose all the way up around. So yes, uh, boat projects have been <laughs> a very, uh, I don't even know, I've been doing them for a while for sure. Chris but. and his brother both come by this creative nature very naturally. John has a very methodical way of thinking about projects and Chris although his are very well researched and thought out, 
I take the blame from my dad <laughs> and my and my brother. My dad was very brute from like all the everything he did in his life when it comes to projects. He kind of took what's the fastest but also the strongest way he can get through it. And maybe it wasn't the most elegant way to do it, but it definitely it did sure the job. Held. So I, I would say yes. I definitely take John's methodical, very, you know, thought out plans and put a little bit of uh, brute behind it. So when you guys decided that you wanted to get a boat, and I want to go back and hear more about that story, about how you came to that conclusion. I had imagine you kind of knew that you wanted to put some work into it or knew that you could put some work into a boat. Yeah, so that's actually a funny story. When we were in our last year of college, we were engaged, um, we were graduating, and we were trying to figure out where we were going to live. And we had just gotten back from visiting John and Shannon in Costa Rica, where Chris actually asked me to marry him. And that was my first real experience cruising, um, you know, getting a taste of the lifestyle of sailing and being on a 33-foot boat with five grown adults, six grown adults, six grown adults for three weeks. And it was amazing because Prism is so well laid out that it doesn't feel like a 33 foot boat. It feels like a big boat smashed into a little boat. Besides the point, that was my first real taste of boat life. And then that kind of inspired me like, okay, this is a really cool way to live. I could see us doing this, but it didn't really click in my head at first. And then when we were trying to think about where we were going to live, we were talking about, well, we could live here in Tahoe, which is where we were living at the time, but it was extremely expensive and far away from family. We can move to the Bay, which is where Chris actually was going to go to college. And that's what sparked the idea behind yeah. getting a boat was what I wanted to go to the, uh, to college in the Bay. And it was at the time cheaper to just get a crash pad boat than it would be to pay rent on a very expensive apartments. So. Yeah, so that kind of set the tone of the boat we were looking for too. We had done a lot of research and we were thinking about getting a Catalina 36, which are very reliable boats for easy to work know, on. Easy to work on. They're production boats so you can get parts easily and I mean you throw a dart and you'll find a Catalina 36 anywhere. So that was kind of our mentality, but we had been looking high and low for the perfect Catalina 36 and John and Shannon were actually home for the summer. So John joined us for a drive from Tahoe all the way down here to Southern California in Channel Islands Harbor, where we got on board a Catalina 36 and Chris and I both looked at each other. It's a, yeah. It's a perfect, I'll, let me stop. It's a perfect example of like what you think a boat looks like and what you think it would feel like on a screen Versus what it actually feels yeah. like when you step on it. <laughs> yeah. So, so we yeah. were like comparing that. We're like, okay, this, this is nice, but how are we going to fit our things and our cat here? It was definitely more or less just like, wow, there's no storage that we could you know, logistically fit all the things that we wanted to fit on it. Uh, like, you know, when you underneath the settee, there was just tanks and, and mm -hmm. behind every cabinet, they were just, they were small. I Which, mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why they feel yeah. so big on the inside is that all the cupboards and cabinets are pushed straight to the hole. So, and you know, they're great boats. I'm, there's no, we have nothing against them. They're awesome boats. Um, Catalina 34s are actually amazing. And if you're able to get one of those, I think that. They have a cool layout. Too. Yeah, they have yeah. a really cool layout, but for us personally, we weren't feeling it. And at that time we were still thinking that it was just going to be a crash pad. And when we weren't feeling the vibe there, John, John went straight us. to his phone. He was like, well, let me look around. So he looked on his phone and, and he found an idea. He found a cruising boat that was in the same Harbor and it turned out to be Avocet. And anyways, he was like, well, guys, you know, we just drove, you know, however many hours, 12 or 14 hours. Let's go check out another boat. 
just to have you guys step on it and just to see how you guys like it. And we're like, okay, like we're kind of, we're pretty bummed out, honestly, that the Catalina thing didn't work out for us. And we were so stubborn and yeah. dead set on getting this Catalina 36. So, we were slightly heartbroken. So we were like, all right. So we drove over and, and we, and we met the broker and we walked down to the boat and, and it was, for me, it was very, um, I recognized the feel and the look of the boat because I think the, the Troy Lee from our perspective looks a lot like the Mason. It has a Same little, you know, on the a large overhang on the bow. Just a very, you know, mod modern, you know, cruising looking the boat. Yeah, the teak on the inside, mm -hmm. the build quality felt very sturdy. When you but stepped on it, the whole boat was a solid feeling, you know what I mean? It was, it, you could tell it was made to last. The funny thing is, is when we first got on the boat, I hated it. I absolutely hated Avocet's layout. It had butterfly it so, tables. It's so different from any other boat yeah. really that I've ever seen before. Avocet's very unique. She has butterfly tables at the bow. Um, and I hated butterfly tables, but they're, they're so far at the bow where now they don't even phase me. It's fine, but the the layout is a very small V berth up in the front for someone to stay in. But logistically, you lose a lot of room up in the V because of how big the saloon is. It's a very large horseshoe design with a big butterfly table that opens up in the middle. And then as you walk down from the companionway, you have the uh, galley on the port side, and right adjacent from that, you have the head on the starboard with a nice aft cabin in the uh, aft starboard and another quarter berth in the port starboard. Uh, anyways, so that it's a very, very open looking design. There's mm -hmm. not many bulkheads in the boat. So when you walk down inside, it looks huge because of just, there's no bulkheads. You can see yeah. you know, all the way and to she's, the bow. She's quite beamy too. She has tumble home, which is something that Chris has always adored, which is why he really liked the Catalina 34s yeah. um, instead of the 36s. The 38s actually had 38s. a lot of, too much tumble home, I think. But um, for those yeah, who no, don't know it, what tumble home is. On the gunnel, basically instead of it going straight down to the water in a straight, you know, perpendicular way, the actual sides of the boat balloon outwards before they hit the waterline. It looks so, like someone smashed the top of the boat and it's exploding out of the sides. Or if you put like a, <laughs> yeah, I, you might have a much better way of explaining it. But, much more elegant way. Yeah. Our way is very nice. <laughs> we consider our boat tubby. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that explains it well. No, that gives people a picture. It gives you a little more room, gives you a little more beam. I promise. She looks beautiful. She's just a little <laughs> chunky like our cat Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> anyways long story short yeah we, we checked out the boat after the five minutes marissa didn't like it she actually did end up really liking how large the galley was because of it was if, if anyone steps on the boat we have a you know in just crazy size refrigerator on the boat i can't even tell you how big it is we can it's fit it's a really big refrigerator so Chris's best way of describing it is we can fit five large extra pizza large. extra yeah. large five <laughs> extra large pizza boxes in it it's really big and it's it's definitely a key point to our boat where people see it and they're like, oh wow, you have that like, on your boat? Yeah, yeah I look do. At it like that's not all refrigeration. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> so it's nice. Yeah. So yeah. that's that was one of the big selling points for me. And obviously Chris had to um share his visions with yeah. me on things that we could change. Like we had a wet head originally, and we still technically have a wet head. We show this video on our YouTube channel of how we remodeled our head to better reflect having a isolated shower stall. I've watched that video yeah. and it's very impressive. I mean, it, it shows how much you've, you dove right in and decided, well, if we don't like the layout of something, we'll change it. A lot of people will you know, change a little bit here and there, but you guys have really 
jumped into projects. One thing the videos don't really show is how much time passes while we're doing those projects. With the head project in particular, it actually bisected another video we were doing, which was our Catalina video. So we had the head halfway finished when we sailed the Catalina. But we didn't mention that in the Catalina video because that's not what it was about. But when we got back, we finished it. And to the viewers, it's like time didn't pass. It's like we got it all done in one shot. But it's, it's the beauty of film. It, it takes, you know, however long to actually film it and 16 seconds to show it on screen. So, I mean, it raises an interesting question. Do you guys ever worry about romanticizing I, your I life on the boat? Yeah, no, I see a lot of people like, wow, that project went by so quickly. It's like, no, <laughs> you didn't see. I mean, like, yes, it went by quickly in some people's aspects, but really that took like five months, you know what I mean? And, and you're constantly working around it and, and all that stuff. Uh, boat projects, I think my wife has a very good way to, to sum up boat projects and, and having a relationship on board. What do you always say? If anyone boat, is thinking about owning a boat and specifically living on a boat with your partner, um, wherever your relationship is heading, it's going to head there a lot faster if you bring a boat into the equation. There's so many people who buy a boat with this romanticized idea that they're going to sail off into the sunset, but that's not always the case. Um, it's a lot of work. There's certain things that and, are just unavoidable, like the yeah. amount of money that even if you buy a project, like we're perfect examples of that. We bought our project boat at the time, like, oh, it's only this, how, you know, however much, it's not that much. And then like two years down the road, where we are now, we're spending probably the same amount of money, even though we're doing literally every single thing by ourselves, not hiring anybody, we're still going to spend the same amount of money that you would by buying a boat right off the bat that is in sailing condition. And our boat was in sailing condition. Let me just back what Chris said up. Um, our boat was in Slightly. sailing condition. We just had to replace some chain plates and things like that. Um, she would have been fine for weekend sailing, but considering that Chris and I are planning on crossing oceans, we needed to make sure that safety came first. So there's a lot of effort, time, and money that we're putting behind our boat to make sure that we are safe during these crossings. And um, if you treat your boat well, she'll treat you well. So that's kind of our mentality for totally. everything. And, and yeah. at the end of this, you'll have a boat that is just the way you want it. Totally. Exactly. She'll be safe. She'll be sound. She'll be comfortable. Like you said, too, we, obviously we don't care about uh, completely ripping something out <laughs> and putting our own version on it. But uh, I mean, we've done that in, I think, three areas of the boat completely and, on, on, the, on the start and the, yeah. the, the V-Birth. We've completely ripped it out and started fresh. That was the, the first head, project. We completely ripped it out and started fresh. The nav station we completely ripped it out and started fresh. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. We've kind of done that in the three areas of our boat we the did not like next. when we bought it. Yeah, so. and, the, and then we're going to do the galley. We have some plans for that. But something that I've started doing on all of our projects is, I think I showed this in the head refit video, is I started signing behind, you know, like we laid up tile in the head. I signed behind that um, SV Avocet circa 2019. Yeah. Um, so if anyone decides to redo that, they'll find little little reminders that Chris and I were here because yeah when I love that I saw that idea on Pinterest in a house and I'm like I that's cute and I wish that we found that from our previous owner because our previous owner he left behind some photographs and it made my heart warm to see the boat in someone else's hands being so well loved the legacy lives on so I know the projects never really end 
But when you get the main ones done, what are the plans? I think, yeah, we're, we're getting very close to being logistically finished with the things that we need to be done in order to sail. Uh, and then certain other things, like you said, we can, we can keep living life and sailing while doing the other projects. They're not as crucial. So uh, right off the bat, we're just going to get right back out into the islands that we call our home, Santa Cruz, San Miguel, and Santa Rosa. Uh, we really want to do more cruising out there and, and kind of just enjoy that while we have it. Uh, Marissa and I are both, she's actually, I shouldn't speak for both of us, she was able to work throughout the whole coronavirus debacle, even though we're still going through it. Um, my work's really suffered through it. So I haven't gotten much work at all. That's a very nice way of Chris saying that I am currently the breadwinner. Yeah, she's the breadwinner. What what do you guys do, and how do you balance what you do with living and working on the boat? I do digital marketing, and I handle a handful of clients, and I'm able to manage their online presence remotely. But I also I was presented the opportunity to work at the marina, which is where we are located currently, and I'm am the business manager there and I've been working there for a year and a half now about a year and a half so that's been really convenient and nice to have that extra income backing our projects and you know just life afloat in general Chris I've been a uh, cinematographer for the past uh, five six years now professionally Uh, so I work on a lot of uh, advertising and short films feature films documentaries I do a lot of camera operating so Really anything you can imagine when it comes to getting your film up on the air. I've done a lot of, again, anything from advertising to documentary to short films. So, Which is great, except when there's a pandemic and then everyone decides and it's all, to... And it's all freelance, too. So yeah. even before the pandemic, it would be, you know, I'd have a, a sweet run for four months and make a lot of money, and then I'd not work at all for two months, you know? So, like, it, it all factors out at the end, but... It's a wash. Uh, and lately, actually, not only have I been doing the camera operating still i mean i'm getting a little bit of business not very much right now uh i've been doing a lot of boat work so i mean i, I kind of stick to what i'm good at and i do actually enjoy it especially when it's not my own boat <laughs> i enjoy the boat work I've, I've actually started to you know pick that up down here a little bit and and try to see what i can get going yeah chris is becoming a proper boat right yeah now I know why your videos are so beautiful and marketed so well. It's a lot of fun to, to watch them and, and follow you guys online. How did that start up? We were inspired to start our YouTube channel because John and Shannon, Chris's older brother and sister-in-law, they were one of the very first YouTube sailing channels. And I absolutely loved watching them document their journey. It was a great way for them to stay in touch with family and friends and make new friends along the way. I'm really big on documenting things. I always loved watching family videos. I still do to this day. I love seeing old family members who have passed, things like that. So it's it's more of like a, a memory to keep. And, and when, with us living so far away yeah. too, it's always been, we really did start it just to be able to show our friends and family what we were doing, you know, on it's, this on this crazy boat life. Yeah. Not, not anybody who's not, doesn't, is not a part of boat life really doesn't understand the craziness that we <laughs> we put ourselves through. So it's really hard to explain that you live on a sailboat to people who don't understand living on a sailboat. Yeah. So being able to film our life was able to give these people a better idea of how we live. And not only that, Chris and I have often found ourselves looking back at old videos. Like we've referenced the head video a lot in this little chat because that's something that I've recently watched. And it's so mind blowing to look back at that and be like, wow, 
we accomplished that. It felt like that project was never going to end, but it mm. ended. And now we are living with a beautiful work of art that's truly ours. Mm. And um, it's kind of inspiration to keep going and that there's light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how dark that tunnel is. <laughs> Just keep pushing through and we'll get to the end. So the YouTube channel is a really fun thing for us to do, to document memories and make friends along the way. And while we're talking about it, what, how do people find it? Our YouTube channel is Sailing Avocet, and Avocet is like avocado, but the last letters, the last three <laughs> letters are C-E-T. We've had a lot of weird pronunciations. People try to make it sound fancier than it is, like avocet, avoceta. Avocet. Yeah. Avocet. No, it's, it's, it's impressive. Just, it's Avocet. It's just Avocet. <laughs> Do you guys have plans to go further afield? We are currently planning to sail from... Um, down here in Ventura up to San Francisco Bay and then sail from San Francisco to Hawaii then up to Alaska and then down the coast and we'll see where we end up maybe we'll go through Panama maybe we'll, we'll hang out in Mexico I want to be in Mexico Chris wants to stay in Mexico but we'll see <laughs> my thing is I feel like if we go to Mexico first we're never going to come back it's harder to bash your way back than to go <laughs> around the counterclockwise as you mentioned and that's, that's why we want to see Alaska first. That's exciting. Yeah. And so what are the, the major projects that you want to tackle? You mentioned redoing the galley, um, but are there any structural things that you have to tackle before heading off? So as far as structural things go, we're still finishing up. Um, our external refit. So we are in the process of installing our bulwarks. So we ripped out our whole tow rail, which was through bolted through the deck. We ripped out our tow rail because it had been leaking ever since day one, probably. It's fastened every 12 inches with a through bolt going through the deck. They used stainless steel screws with bronze nuts on the end. So the salt water, Ouch. when they hit the bronze nut, they all uh, dissimilar metal corroded and basically welded themselves together. So there was a lot of issues just trying to get it off. It, it was actually easier for, I put Marissa on this with an impact gun and I just had her <laughs> either take them the nuts off or break the nuts off and basically take off, we took off 185 uh, bolts. Yeah, and most of them were broken off at most deck of them, level. We'd say so probably we had to 80 pound them, them through and it was a very messy job. But after we had gotten that done, that's when we went into the boatyard and then uh, made our seamless deck to hole joint with, with two layers of 17. Yeah, so we, we when the tow rail came off, we glassed over the deck to hole joint with two layers of 1708. And that way we had a not only no holes, but also a extremely strong uh, deck to hole joint glassed yeah. on the outside and on the inside. So that helped with the structural integrity of our deck and hole. And then on top of that, to replace our tow rail, instead of installing another tow rail, we decided to do a bulwark based off of a um, Bristol the, channel cutter Yeah, we got the designs from Lynn Larry's uh, Seraphin. So uh. yeah, instead of, instead of bolting the tow rail down through the deck, we're actually going to bolt it to, there's a bulwark base every single area where there's a stanchion base. So we're using the same bolts that are holding down the stanchions as, mm -hmm. say, as to hold on the bulwark. And it's going to be about half inch off the deck? I think three quarters of an inch or half inch off the deck in between the, the wood and the actual deck. What's your timetable then in terms of finishing up and, and heading off? I know timetables are always tricky on a sailboat. A sailor's plans are written in sand, as they say. We're hoping to be finished up on our major refit by the end of this year. 
So that means not only the deck, the whole joint will be done. We did an extensive osmosis treatment on our bottom while we were out. And we also replaced the prop shaft, the cutlass bearing, everything. We took out our rudder, replaced all the bearings and the packing blade on that. Um, our rigging needs to be attended to. I'm actually thinking of switching over to Dyneema on our backstay and our lowers, but replacing our forestay and our cap shrouds with more wire. The, the actual mask got replaced in 2004, so that's really nice. I don't have to deal with that. And then the really the last thing, the two last things that I want is a uh, ironclad autopilot system. So we've been seriously considering putting on a uh, hydrovane before we leave. And then also right now, the reason why we're doing such a big wiring refit is that we are completely switching over to lithium. So we have 380. Big upgrade. Yeah, 380 amp hours of uh, power on board that I'm actually building my own lithium bank. So it's, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting. Because I Christmas am interested in that. I want to pick your brain about how that goes after you yeah, get that installed. I'll let you know. <laughs> we are filming it as much as we can along the way. It's just such a mess below deck. It's hard it's to even gross, find yeah. the camera. So, I mean, if you see our Instagram story, you'll see I've all already almost fallen into the boat literally fallen into the depths of the boat at least three times today. So, so with the lithium, do you need a different kind of alternator, regulator? What do you... You're right. The, the charge profiles are not the same from obviously from lead acid or AGM to lithium. So instead of ordering, for us, I'd have to order a new, we have a Balmor alternator, so I'd have to get a lithium friendly regulator for it. And then I'd have to also change out our AC power charger. So instead of doing that, I did something different, which I've actually, I've talked to a lot of other cruisers and they're doing the same thing. Um, they're keeping a lead acid battery for the starter. And that way, everything that you're throwing at it with your alternator goes through the lead acid battery. And then you're using a DC to DC charger. So basically you're taking power from the starter battery and then putting it into a lithium friendly profile and then feeding it to the lithium bank. So that way you can keep your shore power charger and your original regulator for your alternator. All you got to do is get the DC to DC charger and then you're good to go. Uh, but really the, the whole benefit of doing this is that lithiums, they're very much different when it comes to the chemistry of another battery is that when they're done charging, uh, they, the BMS, the battery management system, literally shuts off power to them. Uh, which is unlike obviously lead acid, which they go into the, when lead acids are reach their full potential, they go into a float charge. Uh, lithiums don't do that. So if, if you were to do that and just hook up your normal regulator on your alternator, uh, when they shut off at hundred percent, your alternator would fry itself. So this, but this, this is getting a lot in the weeds and might show my ignorance about <laughs> lithium, but isn't um, the advantage of lithium that you can charge them up real quickly and doesn't going through the lead acid then defeat that? I want more usable amperage on usable amp hours, basically. Uh, I don't really care too much about charging and discharging rates because, uh, well, if I had electric engine, it'd be a different story and I'd be, I'd be discharging at you know, 80 to 100 amps and I'd want to charge that really, really quickly. Uh, with our circumstance, we don't have really anything on board to discharge that much. Uh, with 380 amps of power, we're going to be able to discharge that to 80%. And with 400, and 400 watts of solar and obviously our, our, you know, our engines as a backup, I, I logistically don't think we would be using that much of that power. Therefore, I really won't want to, I won't need to put anything more in there 
our DC to DC chargers is rated at 60 amps. So even charging at 60 amps is quite a lot, as you can imagine. So uh, all of our renewables are untapped. They're all lithium friendly. So I don't have to go through the DC to DC charger. So I can throw as much power as that as I want to from our renewables as I want to. There, there's no, un, they're untapped. And then on top of the also, you know, DC to DC charger. So I, I logistically don't think that I have anything on board that would actually take that much power. I want to go back to how you both got into sailing. And Chris, I want to hear from you about growing up sailing on San Francisco Bay and your memories and what you think you learned from sailing these waters. I learned a lot from San Francisco Bay, mostly learning how to deal with a lot of wind. And I think that's incredibly important in really just cruising. If you can learn how to trim your sails correctly and balance a boat, uh, you've got a lot going for you when it comes to sailing a, a big boat like this and cruising. We grew up, obviously, and uh, the boat was actually in Berkeley, and it was a nice, I don't know how to say this, it wasn't necessarily a nice sail, but we would always kind of go out and get our asses handed to us a little bit, and but every single time we go out, we'd learn a little bit, you know, in the process, and it was always fun. There was The, the boat was always a, a learning experience for us, so the big boat experience was always this fundamental thing that I've always kept with me. And it's actually more than anything, yes, it's taught me how to sail and, and how to deal with a lot of wind and all that kind of stuff, but it's it's given me the the boat bug that it's never faded. And it's always been that thing that uh, you know, whenever time I think about the bay, it's 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 always been a good experience and I've always wanted to do more of it. And it's really been the basis of why I wanted to get my own boat and do it myself. I'm sure there are those who go out on the bay and are, are cold and it's windy and can get turned off by it. That's what they call sporty weather, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is sporty. <laughs> I think uh, I think I was, uh, I, maybe because I did it so early on that I, I've always loved the wind. Does that maybe sound weird saying that, but um, every single time, even up in the mountains when it's howling out, I just, I sit back and I just, I love it. I love it going through my hair. I love you know, I just love the feeling. And maybe that stems all the way back to the bay. I'm really not sure. The bay really molded me as a sailor when it comes to, again, dealing with high winds and, and just kind of taking whatever comes out at me. And what to expect. Yeah, and what to expect. We were just actually at the islands. The last time we were at the islands here in Santa Cruz uh, with our boat, it was predicted to be 30, 30 knots at night, which was it is a lot of wind. I'll say that, but it's, it's we also trusted our boat and we knew what we were comfortable. And with. I always kind of go back to like, Oh, the bay is 25 and <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm used to that and sure. But uh, anyway, it was predicted to be 30 and it, it got up to 57 knots. Surprise. A lot of wind for us at anchor. If anything, uh, it, it always stems back to just, you know, having those records in your mind, that's all experience and experience is something I was actually listening to a lot of uh, John Kreshmer today. I was listening to one of his books and experience isn't something that you'll recognize you have until you are using it. You know what I mean? It's, it's something that springs up unexpectedly and you don't really necessarily appreciate it until it's there. And I think that's definitely something that I've, I've taken from the Bay is that those experiences that I've got as a child, I'm starting to see spring up on me in instances like we just had when we have 57 knots on, on the bow and, and I'm learning how, you know, I got to figure out how to reef the sails and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a good teacher. 
And that was actually a funny story too, just a short side note on that. We were sailing back from the islands in that gale wind with our friends who are on a Beneteau 51. We were talking to them over the radio and they're like, this is a lot of wind. This is crazy. And Chris and I responded back, what do you mean? It's just like another day in the bay. Yeah. And then it was silent <laughs> after that. <laughs> it really did feel very similar. We're not, we were going downwind you know, full, we had our full Genoa out. We were just cruising, going like eight and a half knots. And it was, I was just, I had the biggest grin on we my were face. smiling yeah. so big. It <laughs> was like, so much fun. Yeah. And Chris's, yeah. Chris's sailing story is much different than mine. He grew up in a sailing family where I did not, my family does not sail. We didn't spend much time on boats or in the water. And Marissa, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, not Santa Cruz Island, but Santa Cruz and Monterey Bay. Very active in the water, just not on sailboats. My dad has a fishing boat and he and my brother go fishing often, but I was never really a part of that world. And I had no interest in sailing until Chris and I became friends um, at the ski resort. So Chris is actually from the mountains, which is where my family had a cabin. So we spent a lot of time there on the weekends. I actually used to be a semi-professional snowboarder before I moved on a boat. That's my my big thing yeah i've seen some video of that it's impressive thank you yeah that's that's a past life (laughs) yeah marissa it was really cute every time i think i i was like yeah marissa come out to the you know to the bay we'll we'll spend the night on the boat we'll go sailing she's like well what do you mean you can like spend on the night on the boat like i had no idea i'm like oh like you can stay in like it has an inside like you can you can stay on it and stuff and that was I didn't I know that. I remember vividly the first time we rolled up to the bay in, in Berkeley and, and showed her the boat. She's like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like, I really didn't know. It's it a whole world, world down here. But my dad yeah. loved Chris so much. I mean, we were kids. We were probably like 12, 13. Yeah. So my dad knew his parents very well and their friends and all that stuff. And anytime my dad would see Chris, he would embarrass me by saying, you should take my daughter sailing. And uh, one summer, Chris finally did, and he suckered me into crewing with him in a yeah. regatta on the lake. And we learned a lot about communication that day. Marissa's first experience sailing was in a regatta, so it was pretty, <laughs> pretty impressive for her. Yeah. We learned a lot about communication <laughs> and how um, kind words get you farther. So I learned a lot about sailing from sailing now our Victory 21 sailboat on Huntington Lake, which is a world-renowned sailing lake it's seven miles long in the central valley and they hold the high sierra regatta there every year and that's what i learned sailing on and um it took me a while to learn that healing over doesn't mean flip over and die eventually i got over that we've been sailing in regattas ever since that molded me as a sailor i remember going to visit sea castle which is the family's mason 43 in the bay area and Being on that boat was a lot different because obviously you're dealing with a lot more elements, high winds, you're dealing with the ocean versus the lake. But everyone in the family was so confident and so calm at the helm that I wasn't freaking out. I'm like, all right, well, they're okay with this. So I guess I should be okay with this. So you touched on this a little bit, but did your communication or your relationship change living in such a small space together? Yeah, I think actually uh, it goes all the way back to when we first moved in with each other in Tahoe. All I could afford at the time was a tiny little 350 square foot studio, which still cost an arm and a leg. And we spent two years there, you know, had a, two and a half, maybe three years, had a great time. But the reason I'm bringing this up is that it was only 350 square feet. So we learned a lot about <laughs> small spaces right off the bat, even inside of a house. 
we took those two, three years to kind of get used to each other. And that way, when we moved onto the boat, a lot of people ask us like, how did you get, you know, how it must've been a horrible time to get used to that. But we were, it really wasn't that much smaller. And if anything, it kind of, I'm a guy that likes to work on things and I like to own things like my home. So it was actually a lot easier for me to, to swallow the pill living on something so small when it was, it was ours, ours, you know, we could, we could change it the way we wanted to Mm -hmm. rather than renting like our apartment, which was so small and we couldn't even fix the washing machine when it would leak all over our floor. So no, it was actually a relief when we got to live on something small, but also ours. Chris and I were long distance for four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we lived three hours apart and we were long distance all throughout high school and then for the first couple years of college and then we moved in together. So there's obviously some learning there um, after not seeing each other every day to seeing each other every (laughs) single day. So that was a lot to deal with. Also learning that remote control cars are not decorations inside the house. (laughs) They have their place and it is not out and about. Yeah, so living on the boat really wasn't that different for us. And something that always catches me off guard is when people say things like, oh, well, when you get into a fight, where do you go? You can't go off and storm off. It's like, well, no, because usually when we have a disagreement, we talk it out. Not only because we live so close in proximity. There's no other option. Yeah. There's no other option, but also because, I mean, like I said before, if your relationship is headed somewhere, it's going to head there a lot faster living on a boat. So you better have good communication and trust and all of the foundations for your relationship laid out before that. So that's something that we've really lived by. And yeah, sometimes it does get hard, but overall, I haven't kicked him overboard yet. So I think we're good. Not yet. Not yet. That's a good sign. There's still time. <laughs> so you guys met in the mountains. Do you yes. miss the mountains living on a boat? I know right now you're 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 docked, so you can you can go visit them. But is that something you anticipate missing? Yes, Marissa and I are very much so mountain people. That may sound weird since we live on a boat, but another really big reason of why we want to go north so badly with our home, the mountains are calling to us in a certain way obviously blue water and you know beautiful 80 degree 90 degree outside sounds beautiful and i want to go snorkeling do all that kind of stuff but marissa and i we we, we love the mountains we want to go see more of that and we actually met a cruiser down here and they were on a hans christian 38 the last ever production made telstar and we had dinner with them and and we were talking a lot about their cruising they had gone around the world two times we were talking more and more and, and I was like, well, what's the most amazing place you guys ever visited? And he just basically didn't say anything, but showed me a photo of their boat right in front of like these glaciers with, you know, snow-capped mountains. And he's like, just, he's Alaska, like hands down, without a doubt, the most beautiful and breathtaking place we've ever been is Alaska. Marissa and I are both obviously mountain people. We really want to see it, not only because it looks so beautiful, but also the glaciers, as we all know, are melting at a very rapid pace. So Yes, it's not the quickest way to get up there on our own boat that we've been working on for two years, but <laughs> we it's, also want yeah. to see it before it's gone. Yeah, so. it's just something that we've we've really had this dream ever since we were introduced to the idea of sailing our boat to Alaska is that the vision of Avocet sitting there in an anchorage with these beautiful mountains in the background, maybe some bald eagles here or there, killer whales breaching in the background. I mean it's just it's endless opportunity we, we for adventure. Yeah. yeah. And we definitely dream about it. And then after Alaska, you know, Canada 
and then um, the Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of friends that we made online that are riddled all throughout that area that have given us a lot of inspiration for places we want to visit. And it will be so much fun when we do it because we'll have friends there and we can all wrapped up in an anchorage and share a drink and actually know each other face to face rather than just Instagram or YouTube or Facebook. So that's something we're excited for. We love the mountains. We love boating and we love the uh, mountains but every time we go and visit the mountains we always look at each other and we're like we miss our boat so we miss our boat <laughs> there's definitely a, a huge draw to the ocean for both of us and and if we can get some mountains in there that's definitely what we're going to look for and that doesn't mean we won't go to mexico because mexico is definitely on my list <laughs> i want to be able to just jump overboard and have the water be the same temperature as the air that is the dream ah <laughs> uh. Well, that is a nice note to end on. Thank you so much, guys. This has been a, a pleasure. And we'll continue following your progress on SV Avocet. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. And if there's any other questions or follow-ups, we're happy to answer and go into more depth if you need. Well, that's it for this episode. You can keep up with Chris and Marissa on their blog at svavaset.com. Watch their latest video by searching YouTube for Sailing Avocet or see their latest Instagram post at svavaset. And while you're on Instagram, why not follow Out the Gate Sailing? Thanks again for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next time, smooth sailing.